Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, listen to the words of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, For he shall give his angels charge over you, and in, your ha- and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, All these things I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and worship him only and serve. Then the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. Um, I would be on the floor since the crowd is down today, but I'm going to stay up here because of the, there's people that's watching and so it's better that I stay up here, all right? I don't have a title to this uh, sermon because I'm telling you the truth. We had a guest speaker today, and the guest speaker had to go home because a snowstorm was getting ready to hit Virginia. And Randy, my cousin Randy, was supposed to preach today because they had a conference. And so uh, as of Saturday, of course, I had to, um, you know, I thought I was going to take a break this week. And so Saturday, I'm like, well, I always have something I've been studying, all right? So I'm going to share with you, but I have no title. So I've decided to call this sermon No Title, all right? And so everybody say No Title. Amen. How many knows that when you go through the messes of life, sometimes there ain't a word that you have? Can I hear an amen? Sometimes there's not a word that you can think of when you go through the messes of life. You're like, I'm just going through. How many can raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've been in that season before. I don't even know what to call it. I'm just going through. And so that's why this sermon is called No Title. All right? You may be seated. How many would raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I have been through some hard times in life? How many would raise your hand? You know, I've said this before, but I think it's worth saying again. Someone said that life is like a carousel. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, and sometimes you just go round and round. So life is like a carousel. Sometimes you will experience that. You're up and you're down and you go round and round. I've I have experienced sometimes where I've been emotionally tired, I've been spiritually tired, and I've been physically tired. And let me say this, my friends, when you are spiritually tired, emotionally tired, and physically tired, everything gets on your nerves. Uh, Come on, how many would raise your hand and say, everything gets on my nerves? Things that normally would never get on your nerves gets on your nerves when you are physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. It gets on your nerves. Amen? I remember one time several years ago when I was more spiritual than I am, I was fasting. <laughs> I think I was telling Dave this. I was fasting 21 days with no food, you know? And I was, I mean, I was determined I was going to do it, you know? I was, come hell or high water, I was going to make it. Well, I made it, but I was really angry for 21 days, you know? I mean, I, 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 I remember one time, Dave, I went to bed, I swear to you, in the middle of the night, I had a dream of me eating a hamburger, and you all know I don't eat hamburgers, you know? 
I mean, I remember I was going through such mental, emotional anguish because I was determined I was going to fast and I was going to pray and I was going to do this thing. But in the process, I was angry. I was, I mean, everything got on my nerves because all I thought about was food. I'm not sure if that was wisdom, but the point of it is, is when you are physically tired, emotionally tired, mentally exhausted, things get, things get blown up when normally they wouldn't have been blown up before. How many's ever had a blow up and then you really came to your senses and you realized, listen, that was probably exaggerated? Okay, five people. I said, how many's ever blown up before and then you come to your senses and you realize it was just probably blown up a little bit. It was exaggerated a little bit. And I think that we all can testify to that. And I want to share with you a story, Jesus this morning, how Jesus handled the issues of life. Now, I want to share with you how you can handle the issues of life. Now, listen, we, we all are doing life together, aren't we? All of us are doing life together. Some of you are at different phases and seasons of life than I am. I'm newly married. Some of you have been married for 20 years. Some of you have children. I'm at a different season. You're at a different season. Some of you are retired. Some of you are enjoying the best time of your life. Some of you are just going through a season where you don't even know what you believe. You don't even know why you're here this morning. So we're all at different seasons at our life. We're all struggling. We're all doing it together. And I want to share with you from the Word of God how Jesus handled things in his life because I want you to handle things right in your life. You see, I've learned one thing, that life is, not, life is about how you respond to it. Ninety percent of things happen to you, but, or excuse me, life is ten percent what happens to you, but ninety percent how you respond to it. Life is about how you respond to it. Say that with me loud and clear. Life is about how I respond to it. Say it again. Life is how I Life is about how you respond to it. The person who is going really slow in front of you cannot hear you. One time I was driving and I was aggravated. You know, I was just aggravated that day cuz that's, you know, sometimes it's life. And I was yelling in the car, kind of yelling. I mean, I wasn't really yelling, but I was raising my voice to the person in the car as if I'm a good driver. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even a good driver, and I'm raising my voice in the car to this person that was probably a better driver than I was. But you know, that's I was just angry that day and frustrated. So I'm in the car really loud saying to the person in front of me, listen, would you learn how to drive? And honestly, I'll never forget this. This was three years ago, and I actually heard the Holy Spirit tell me, the person can't hear you. Here I'm all aggravated and the person in front of me couldn't even hear me. Listen, folks, life is about 90% how you respond to it. People are going to get on your nerves. People are going to hurt you. People are going to frustrate you. Life is not going to go the way you think it should go. And it doesn't matter how much you gripe and grumble and complain and how much you get an attitude about it. Some things is never going to change until you change. You see, sometimes life happens because God is using life to change you. 
Life happens because God is using life as a sanctifying tool to change you. And that is why as a Christian, listen to me, you've got to look at your life through the eyes of the Bible. You've got to look at the events of life through the eyes of the Bible. You've got to have a Christian worldview. And that means you've got to look at your life through the lens of the Bible, which states this, that everything that I face and everything that I go through is used of God to make me a better person. And sometimes we look at it as the devil. The devil's afflicting me and the devil's doing this. Sometimes things are used in our life to make us better, but we don't have the proper perspective because we think it's demonic forces. And it's not necessarily demonic forces. God is using the everyday challenges of life to make you better. And how are you responding to life? How are you responding to your spouse? How are you responding to your children? How are you responding to the people that sit in the same church pew with you? How do you respond to life? Because everything you do is a seed, and whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And so if you keep sowing the bad seeds, you're going to reap a bad harvest. So let's reverse our thinking and look at the challenges of life as a sanctifying tool that God uses to make us more faithful and fruitful in our life. It's not about the devil always after you. And I hate to say this, but it is true that if you study the Bible, the devil is not omnipresent, which means the devil cannot be afflicting me and afflicting Pastor Brandon at the same time because the devil don't have all power. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. Now, the devil does have a kingdom. He does have demons. He does have demonic forces. And he is the prince and the power of the air. So let's not give the devil too much credit this morning. God is just trying to use the sanctif- God is trying to use the challenges of life to make us better and to sanctify us. You say, well, pastor, why are you saying this to me? Because if you claim to be a Christian and you claim God as your father, then God disciplines us if we do not submit to his mighty hand. And I don't want to be disciplined by the Lord. I want to go ahead and just submit and respond to the challenges of life as I'm called to respond. Now, this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4 gives us some clues about how you can respond to life appropriately. Number one, I want you to see that I want you to see some principles in Matthew chapter 4 that you can be reminded when you're going through the issues of life. Number one, I want you to be reminded that you can be tempted to do a good thing. Now, I want you to think about that in life. You can be tempted to do the good thing. You see, the great challenge of our life is, am I doing the right thing or am I doing a good thing? And some of us get busy doing good things when we have failed to do the right thing. I'm going to say that again because I think it's worthy to be said again. Some of us are so busy doing good things that we forget to do the right thing. Let me say it again. We're so busy doing good things that we fail to do the right thing. And my friends, as believers, we got to have a spirit of discernment and we got to know what to do, what we got to do the right thing instead of the good thing. What deceived Eve in the garden? 
Eve was deceived by a good thing. The fruit was good to the eye. And because she thought it was good, she gave it to her husband who was with her, and they both fell into sin because they ran after a good thing. And just because something is good, and just because you think it's good, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted of the devil. Jesus was tempted of the devil. And the Bible says in verse number 3, look at it, verse number 3, Matthew chapter 4, and verse number 3, it says this, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. That's a good thing. Do you know why that's a good thing? Because Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is hungry, and bread is a good thing to eat when you're hungry. Bread is a wonderful thing. I don't know about you, but I love me some bread. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody in the church house? Raise your hand. Say, I love me some bread. I love some cinnamon rolls. I love some hot rolls with some butter. I love some Texas Roadhouse rolls. Are they open today? My Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. I love some rolls. Let me just take a, t- let me take a test. How many likes Logan's, Logan's Roadhouse rolls better than Texas Roadhouse rolls? So if you like Logan's rolls better than Texas Roadhouse rolls, raise your hands. How many likes Texas Roadhouse rolls? Okay, all, everybody that's like Logan's, you're excommunicated from this church. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> amen. I love some rolls. I love some bread. And listen, Jesus loves some bread. The tempter said, why don't you make these stones to become bread? That's a good thing, folks. Jesus is hungry. And there's nothing wrong with eating bread. And let me just say this, because I think it's going to liberate a lot of you. Listen, I try to make fasting a part of my life. But let me tell you, it's hard, it's difficult, really it is. And there's been so many times I've started fasting and broke it, you know, because I I, I just broke it. I got through the half of it and broke it. Sometimes I've changed the fast. And one of the things I've learned is, listen, fasting shows us our humanity. It shows us how human we are. It doesn't mean you've sinned because you broke your fast. It really shows our humanity when we fast. And Jesus is fasting And Jesus could have turned those stones into bread. That's a good thing. But folks, it's not the right thing. Because that was a season of preparation for Jesus. And the Father was doing something in and through his life. It wasn't the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do, but it wasn't the right thing to do. And I want to tell you something. When you are going through the issues of life, you've got to discern between what is a good thing and a right thing. And some of us is really busy with a lot of good things. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And it takes the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart and mind about what is the right things to do. What is the right thing to do? It's a good thing to stay home in the bed. That's a good thing. It might not be the right thing to do because if you don't get up and go to work, you can't pay the bills. You see, some things are good and some things are right. And as Christians, we need to be more concerned about what is right than what is good. Because even some things, who, some things that are wrong actually look very good. So it's about doing what is right. And Jesus teaches us that he did the right thing. Listen to me. He did the right thing in the face of a good thing. Do you have enough strength? Do you have enough perseverance? 
And do you have enough tenacity to do the right thing in the face of a good thing? Number two, I want to tell you that you got to realize that temptation is real and temptation is personal. You see, just because you're tempted to sin doesn't mean you have sinned. Every one of you will be tempted to do the wrong thing. Every one of you will be tempted to say the wrong thing. Every one of you will be tempted to look at something you shouldn't be looking at. Every one of you will be tempted to participate in things you know you shouldn't participate in. Some of us will have different temptations than some of us. The enemy knows exactly what to tempt you with, and he knows exactly what to tempt me with. And that is why temptation is personal. The enemy will personalize your temptation. Now, let me make it loud and clear. Just because you are tempted, that doesn't mean it's sinful. It's giving into the temptation that is sinful. It's the activity that you participate in that can be sinful. Just because you are tempted doesn't mean you have sinned. Now, number two, temptation is personal. And do you notice how Jesus, or excuse me, the enemy, in verse number three, Matthew chapter four, and verse number three, Matthew four, verse three, do you see how the enemy made it personal with Jesus? He said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread if you are the Son of God. You see, temptation is personal, and the enemy was personalizing Jesus' temptation. He was focusing on Jesus' identity. Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Jesus, are you really the Son of God? The devil was tempting Jesus in a personal way. And I want to remind each of you, the enemy will tempt you in a personal way. The enemy will tempt Pastor Brandon differently than he will tempt me, uh, tempt me because the enemy knows exactly what I struggle with and he knows exactly what you struggle with because the enemy sees what you do in private. He sees what you do on your phone. He sees the conversations that you have. There's demonic forces and demonic activity that's aware of what you do and ladies and gentlemen, the enemy will get the information and he will make it personal and he will come and hit you at the weakest spot in your life. And you gotta be, you got to be stronger, and you've got to be wiser than the enemy because the enemy knows what you are doing, and he knows how to tempt you. Let me, let me break it down, folks. The enemy has been around for thousands of years. You've only been around, what, a few years? He knows what he's doing. But you have the power, and you have the authority, and you have the resources, and you have the weaponry, and you have the arsenal against the enemy. Can I hear an amen? So the enemy will make it personal and he will come after you. Number one, I want to remind you that you can be tempted to do a good thing, but it's about doing what is right. The bread was good. Remember, Jesus turned the water into wine. That's a good thing. Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus ain't against food. That's a good thing, but it wasn't the right thing at that particular moment. Number two, temptation was personal. If you are the Son of God, he made it personal because the enemy, the enemy it knows Jesus' weak points. Now, what was Jesus' weak point? You know, Jesus never sinned, but Jesus was physically weak. 
because he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is God and Jesus is man, and so Jesus walking in his humanity was physically weak because he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And when did the enemy come to Jesus? Verse number 2, look at it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. I want you to shout this out with me. He was hungry. I, everybody, as loud as you can do it. One, two, three. He was And look at verse number 3. Now when the tempter came to him. Do you notice that the devil came to Jesus when he was hungry? Because the enemy will come to you when you are tired. The enemy will come to you when you are weak. The enemy will come to you when you're emotionally tired and you're mentally tired and spiritually tired. The enemy will come to you when you are exhausted and you don't even know if you want to live the life anymore. You don't even know if you want to push through anymore. And the enemy will come to you at your weakest moment, and he will throw thoughts in your mind and tell you that you're no good, you're never going to make it. You see, God is not on your side because that's what the enemy does. The enemy throws things at your mind. That's what he does all day. And you've got to make a decision that you cannot believe everything the enemy says to you. You can't believe anything the enemy says to you. You see, temptation is real, and the devil capitalized. He will capitalize on your weakest moment. Jesus was hungry, and the enemy came. Number three, God's word can be misused to tempt you. Now, folks, listen, listen to pastor here. This is, this is a biggie, okay? Because when the enemy came to Jesus, the enemy misquoted the Scripture. The enemy knew the Scripture. The devil knew the Scripture. He quoted Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12 to Jesus, but he misquoted it. And you see, God's Word can be misused to tempt you. You know what? Boy, as a pastor, I've heard lots of things. I've heard people use the Scripture to really justify their actions. Boy, I've heard people get angry, and they'll use Scripture to justify what they're doing. And it's really interesting to me. People do that, and usually they have no, they have no hermeneutical skills at all. You know, they don't even know how to interpret the Scriptures. They're just throwing a bunch of Scriptures at you. You know, there is a right way to interpret Scripture, and it can be learned. Can I hear an amen? You cannot just pull out a Scripture and throw it at somebody. You've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture, and you've got to have the context behind the Scripture. If you take a text out of context, you can make it a pretext for anything you want. And so people use Scripture all the time to justify their actions, and here is Satan using Scripture to tell Jesus to justify jumping off of the pinnacle of the temple. If you just jump off, Look at verse number 6. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, verse 6, throw yourself down, for look what the Bible says. The devil said, for it is written, give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So the devil is using Scripture here, but he misquoted it. You see, my friends, you know, we live in a world where everybody wants to know the truth. Pastor, how do we know we have the truth and the church up the street has the truth? Well, get our book, and our book will explain that. Can I hear an amen? I'm just throwing that out at you. 
You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good at selling this book today. Can I hear an amen? Some hot rolls. So. so, where am I at in the story? The devil mis thank you, Sister Kay. The devil misquoted the scripture. And we live in a culture where everybody wants to know the truth. They want to know the truth. How do you know it's the truth? How, how do I know I'm following the truth? The Mormon church says, you know, they're the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They have the gospel. Jehovah Witnesses say they have the gospel. The Roman church says they're the only true and living apostolic church in the world. Pentecostals say, oh, but we have the spirit. Who's right? That's why if you don't know the scriptures, the enemy can use it to justify your actions and your belief system. That's why I'm asking you this year, let's be a Bible-reading church. Now, I want to stop and say this because I want you to get the Bible inside of you. The more you read the Bible, the more you study the Bible, the more it becomes a part of your life. I want to tell you, and I'm going to be explaining this in the next couple Sundays when everybody's back, but um, in... 2019, we've had approximately 20 people who read the Bible through in this church. In the year 2020, we had approximately 36 people read the Bible through. And then this past year, we had 43 people who finished the Bible and 15 people who read consistently that never finished it. And I think that deserves a 100% clap. Somebody shout amen. Come on, somebody shout amen. So do you see every year, every year we've increased. We started the Bible reading challenge in the year 2019, and every year we've increased. And I'm asking you today, and I said this last week, I am promoting the Bible challenge this year, and I'm asking us, let's read through the Bible again. I'm asking somebody, let's take up the challenge. Now, you may not finish the Bible, but I'm asking you to start the Bible. I want, I want you to make it a goal to finish the Bible. I want you, everyone, most of you have a smartphone, and you can download apps on your phone. And I'm asking you, download the app on your phone, and I want you to start listening to the Bible. When you get up in the morning and you take a shower, hit the button and start listening to the Bible. On your way to work, put the Bible in and begin to listen to it. You say, Pastor, it's boring. Some of those books are boring. I agree with you, but it is still the Word of God. And if you have a Christian worldview. Your view of the Bible is that the Bible is a living book and the Bible is different than any other book that I have on my shelf because the Bible is a living, breathing book. It's the Word of God. So even when it doesn't make sense to me, what's happening inside of me is greater than what's happening to me. So how many would say, Pastor, I'm going to take up the Bible reading challenge this year, and even if I don't read the Bible, I can let the Bible read to me because I want the Bible to be a part of my life. I hear an amen this morning. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to download the Bible Project or read Scripture. Those are the apps. Read Scripture. You can download that. You can choose the translation that you want, and you can start reading through it or the Bible Project. And that is a, is a wonderful app that gives you videos, that gives you explanation, it helps you interpret Scripture, and it's called The Bible Project. I want you to download that. And I believe that maybe we could reach beyond 43 people in 2022. I believe by the end of the year we can have over 50 people this year that's read the Bible through. Can I hear an amen? I'm asking you, come on, you got a phone. Come on, let's try it together. 
Come on, if you do the same thing over and over, expecting different results, that's insanity. Boy, I want my life to change. I want my life to be better. I want this to be better. But are you doing anything to change? Are you doing something different? I'm asking you, let's get the Bible inside of us, all right? Kaylee uh, Swift, run up here. Kaylee Swift is a wonderful young lady who's been attending our church for several years, and she, several years ago, just was going through a very difficult time in her life, very difficult, and she has shared some of her story with some of you before, and some of you know her story, and she was going through great depression, great anxiety, things wasn't, I mean, and she can tell the story later, but what transformed her life and what transformed her attitude was the Bible. You see, nothing changes until something changes. You just got to make up your mind. You got to make some changes in your life. It's hard, but she made a change. She said, you know what I'm going to do? Nothing else works. I'm going to start reading the Bible. And what did it do, Kaylee? Basically, like you said, Austin, very depressed. Um, I'm going to try not to cry because I have a really ugly cry. <laughs> but I'm a completely different person today than I was two years ago or even two weeks ago. Um, the Bible has just completely transformed my life. I had no idea who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. Um, and I have stepped into that calling and I'm doing what I have to do to um, get to that woman. So if you're not reading your Bible and you're lost, you're doing something wrong and you need to pick it up. Amen. 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 So I'm, and I am so proud of her because I've been her pastor for the last almost 10 years. So I've walked with her. Some of our elders have walked with her through her journey of depression and anxiety, wanting to take her life. And she sat down with me in my office and told me, Pastor, what changed my life and my attitude was when I decided, listen, nobody's going to make me happy. No thing is going to make me happy. And nothing's going to change until I change, until I start doing something different with my life. And that's what she's begin to do. The Bible has the potential to change your life. Can I hear an amen? I said the Bible has the change. If you're watching online today, I want you to encourage you, download the app, read Scripture, the Bible Project. Let's, as a church, read the Bible this year together. And let's, at the end of the year, let's see how many's read the Bible. Now listen, maybe last year you read the New Testament. Maybe this year you want to read the Old Testament, but this is the thing. Whatever you choose, I'm suggesting you read the whole Bible. But if you decide to read the Old Testament or the New Testament again, I'm asking you, let's make a commitment. Let's get it inside of you, and I'm suggesting let's read the whole Bible together. Let's push through. Amen. How many is with Pastor Josh that Christ Point Church is going to be a Bible-reading church. Can somebody stand to your feet? Are you with me online? Can you read the Bible with me? Let's be a Bible-reading church. The Bible can change your life. Listen, you may be seated. Listen, can I tell you something? Listen, so I made a commitment last year to read the Bible again, okay, because I've been reading the Bible. How many of the pastor shouldn't be doing something? I mean, the pastor shouldn't be asking you to do something he 
So I've been reading the Bible, but guess what? When I got to December 31st, my little Bible app said that I was 60 days behind. So I was two months behind. And of course, I'm not making excuses, but I did get married. So, so I, got, <laughs> I got married. <laughs> I got married. So on December 31st, I was like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I was, you know, got married and blah, blah. But listen, pastor read the Bible for 10 months, and the other two months I was sporadically reading through it. And, uh, of course, I was studying my sermons, but I'm talking about doing the Bible Challenge app. And so, um, and the previous years I've read the Bible through. But so listen, if pastor was 60 days short, I'm going to give you grace. Can I hear an amen? So, y'all, let's just start this and let's do it together. And I think I'm going to go on because y'all looking at me and I, um, I'm just going to go on here. Can I hear an amen? You know why? Let me say, you know, let me tell you something. Salt and sugar looks the same. Salt and sugar looks the same, but they don't taste the same. And you know what the Bible will do? The Bible will enhance your ability to taste the difference. I said the Bible will enhance your ability to taste the difference. I said the Bible will enhance the difference between salt and sugar. When you Begin to read it. Number four, I'm almost done. Knowing God's word helps us to resist temptation. So what did Jesus do when he faced temptation? Look at just verse number four. When Jesus was facing temptation, Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus said, it is written. Everybody say, it is written. Look at verse number seven. Jesus said, it is written. Look at verse number 10. Jesus said, away with you, Satan. So when Jesus faced temptation, when he faced the desire, or when he faced the enemy to try to tempt him to do something good and not right, Jesus used the Bible. Jesus quoted the Scripture. And do you know where Jesus quoted the Scripture from? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus knew the Old Testament. And so when he was faced with the challenges of life, he began to quote the Scriptures. And let me say this, and let me say it loud and clear. When you're going through a hard time, yelling about it, screaming about it, getting frustrated about it, getting aggravated about it, is not going to fix it you got to quote the Scripture. you got to read the Word. If you got to get little post-it notes out, if you got to get little cards out and write Scripture and put it on your mirror, whatever you got to do, get the Bible inside of you, and the more you get the Word of God inside of you, you can use it as an arsenal against the enemy. The Bible is your weapon against the enemy. The enemy is already defeated, but that doesn't mean the enemy is going to stop coming against you. And this is what the enemy does. The Greek word for the devil is diablos, which means to throw. And that's what the devil does. The devil throws things at your mind. How many raise your hand and say, the enemy throws things at my mind? One thought right after another thought. And that's what the devil does. He will tell you what other people are thinking. The devil will tell you what other people are thinking. You know what? That person don't like you. That person don't care for you. And how do you know that's true? Are you the authority of everybody's feelings and expressions and thoughts? 
That's why you can't believe everything you think. That's why you got to start quoting the scriptures. That's why you got to quote the word. You got to change the way that you think because the problem is between our ears. The problem is the way we think. So when you know the word of God, you can resist temptation. When the enemy comes to you and says, look at that or do that or say that, then you could use the scripture. Jesus said, it is written. It is written. Jesus used. Now, this is what I want you to see. Jesus used very specific scripture to his temptation. Isn't that right? He didn't just use a general scripture. He was very specific about it. Look at this. Look at verse 3 and look how specific Jesus was. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3. Matthew 4, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. Now what did Jesus do in verse 4? He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what did Jesus do? Jesus used specific scriptures against the temptation. In other words, Jesus just didn't pull out a scripture and start quoting it. Jesus found a scripture that's very relatable to his temptation. So if you are struggling with, um, if you're struggling with greed, jealousy, then you find scripture that relates to that and you combat that desires with that scripture. Jesus used very specific scriptures to combat against that particular temptation. And number five, and in closing, the devil goes away if you resist him. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What happens when Jesus resisted the devil? The Bible says in verse number 11, verse number 11, 4, verse 11, Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Why did the devil leave him? Because verse number, verse number 10. Verse number 10, Jesus said, away with you, Satan. In other words, Jesus rebuked him. said, Satan, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm not going to listen to what you're saying, and I'm not going to do what you're saying. So get away from me. And let me say this loud and clear. Sometimes, my friends, you can't, you can't play with the devil. You can't sit down at the table of negotiation and try to negotiate with the devil. As a Christian... The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. The Bible says in the book of Luke that Jesus said, Behold, I've given you power to tread up on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. The Bible says in the book of 1 John, the Bible says, Behold, he's given you power. Behold, he's given you power to rebuke the enemy. The Bible says that you have the ability to resist the enemy. The enemy is not stronger than you are. The Jesus Christ that lives on the inside of you is stronger than the enemy. You don't have to give in to the enemy. You don't have to give in to him. You don't have to give in to the desires of the enemy, the desires of the flesh. You don't have to do what the enemy tells you to do. You don't have to listen to his thoughts. You can be free from it. You can walk in freedom. Bondages are bad, but battles are not. And just because you're in a battle doesn't mean it's bad. Bondages, is all, bondages are. The Bible, says, the Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, if the truth makes you free, then it must be a lie that binds you up. And the, the way the enemy will bind you up is by telling you a bunch of lies. He'll lie to you all day long. And you've got to realize the enemy is trying to control your mind. He's trying to control your desires. He's trying to control your emotions. That's, 
that, that's what the enemy's trying to do. You see, you've got to resist the devil. You've got to rebuke the enemy. You've got to stand up to him. You've got to say, no, no, no. It may happen in my family. It may happen to my mother. It may happen to my siblings. But it's going to stop with me. I am going to be. This is going to stop with me. I'm going to be different. You've got to make up your mind. You see, I've learned one thing is that there are certain things that you need to pay attention to in your life. And, this is, and I've used this analogy before, but I'm going to use it again because it goes perfectly with what I'm saying. The word halt, H-A-L-T. Everybody say that with me. H, say it again, H. So when you feel hungry, H, when you feel angry, A, when you feel lonely, L, and when you feel tired, those are the pressure points that the enemy will come against you. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, the enemy looks for those loopholes to get into you, to speak to you, to put you in bondage, to get your mind in turmoil. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired. And that's when you feel hungry, when you feel angry, when you feel lonely, when you feel tired, you need to halt. You need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to pause. You need to reflect. You need to pray. You need to get the scriptures inside of you. You need to halt. You need to stop. And sometimes we just keep pushing on, pushing on, but you need to stop when you feel hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Why hungry? Because, listen, God has given you a physical body, and you're not Superman. I may, you may think you're Superman. You may think that you can do whatever to your body that you want, but you will pay for it in the long run. You've got to stop. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to rest. You've got to feed yourself. When you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired, those are areas that the enemy will come to you because he will find a loophole to get to you. What can we learn today? What can we learn of how I can handle the issues of life? Number one, we learn, number one, we can be tempted to do a good thing. Remember what I said? There's a difference between a good thing and a right thing. As Christians, we need to do the right thing, not necessarily a good thing. The right thing is always the good thing. But we need to have discernment between what is good and what is right. And sometimes we get busy doing the good thing that we forget to do the right thing. And the enemy tempted Jesus with bread. That's a good thing, but it wasn't the right thing in the season. What else can we learn today? Number two, temptation is real. And Jesus, Jesus was tempted in a real and personal way. Temptation is personal because the enemy said, if you are the Son of God, he made it personal. And the enemy will come to you because he knows what you deal with personally and he knows how to attack you in a personal way. He knows what you struggle with. Number three, God's Word can be misused to tempt us. The enemy misused the Word of God against Jesus. And you've got to know the difference between salt and sugar, and the more that you get the Word of God into you, the more you can discern between the salt and the sugar. Number four, you've got to know that God's Word will help you to resist temptation. Because when the enemy came against Jesus, Jesus used the Word of God, and it was the Word of God that became His weapon. And number five, the, the, de the devil went away from Jesus because Jesus resisted him. You have the ability to resist the devil. The devil will tell you it's too hard, you can't do it, but you have the ability to resist him. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And my friends, I'm telling you, 
When you feel hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you need to halt. You need to stop. You need to pause. You need to reflect. You need to be refreshed. You need to take a Sabbath. You need to let the Lord minister to you today. Amen, amen, amen. 